Welcome to episode 42 of EIU Panthers Podcast. I'm your host, Rich Moser. This week, Eastern Illinois hosts the Ohio Valley Conference Outdoor Track and Field Championships. So our guest this week is current EIU Director of Track and Field, Britton Emanuel. On today's show, we'll talk about his experiences as a track athlete here at Eastern Illinois, winning previous OVC championships both as a player as a coach, his transition into coaching, and what it was like for him to return to his alma mater to take over the Panthers program. In addition, Emmanuel gives us a quick preview of the upcoming meet and any added pressure he may feel for the Panthers hosting the meet this weekend. If you like this episode of the EIU Panthers podcast and want to hear more, including our archive episodes, simply search EIU Panthers podcast wherever you listen to your favorite shows. Available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, SoundCloud, Stitcher, and iHeartRadio podcasts. Consolidated Communications is a proud sponsor of Eastern Illinois Athletics. Visit Consolidated.com today to learn more about the future of broadband for your home or business. This week in EIU Athletics News, the Panthers track and field teams host the OVC Outdoor Championships, while the baseball team is at home for the final time on Saturday and on Monday. The Panther Club has announced its dates for the summer golf outings with one in June, one in July, and one in August. Those will take place in Charleston, Effingham, and Mattoon. For more information or to register, call the EIU Athletic Tiffet Office at 217-581-6014. And congrats to EIU's all OVC softball selections, including the OVC Player of the Year, Meg Burton, a recent guest here on EIU Panthers podcast. To stay up to date on all the happenings in Eastern Illinois athletics, be sure to follow us online at the official athletics website, eiupanthers.com, or you can follow us on Twitter at EIU underscore Panthers. Now to this week's episode of EIU Panthers podcast with former EIU track athlete and our current EIU director of track and field, Brenton Emanuel. And welcome to another edition of EIU Panthers Podcast. We're joined now by EIU Director of Track and Field, Brenton Emanuel. The Panthers will host the OVC Championship this weekend. So, Brenton, glad to have you on the on the conference call here. Thanks for having me. I'm excited to be here. Well, we've, we've had a, a few of the athletes, a few of your former teammates here on the podcast, so you're not a, a rookie by any means in terms of how these work. But this will be your first time hosting a conference championship when you're the head coach. And not, It's not that Eastern doesn't host events, but is it – how is it going to be a, maybe a little bit different this year in particular with, with some of the COVID stuff? Yeah, you know, COVID obviously has been has changed our world completely um, from track and field standpoint, just a life standpoint. So trying to make sure everything is safe for everyone. Um, the OPC has listed demands we have to hit. But I think it, it should go by pretty smoothly. It's just getting used to make sure we know we have everything covered when it comes to testing, screening, um, and just getting everything set up, you know, in the coming days. Now, one of the things that, that you, like I said, you were an athlete here. We're going to talk about your career as an Eastern Illinois athlete. You were assistant coach here and now the head coach here. One of the big changes, I would say, from when you were an athlete here and even when you were an assistant coach here to now is the format of the of the OVC tournament or championship. It's no longer a two-day event kind of packed together. It's now three days. Is How does that change from a coaching strategy, maybe how you – put certain kids in certain events? Yeah, it definitely does. You know, the two-day strategy is, you know, it's pretty easily, you know, you can kind of, you kind of know what's going to happen. But now things are so spread out, you can you can double people, you can triple people in events. Like sometimes, my first year back, we had a girl run the 400 on um, Friday, and then on Thursday, she ran the 400 hurdles. So on Saturday during finals day, she ran the 400, the 400 hurdles, and the 4 by one So it was kind <laughs> of a crazy triple that she did. So you have to kind of, you can really strategize 
and gain points um, for yourself and take some from other teams by doing things like that. So it is, it's definitely more strategic, and the OVC is probably the fastest I've ever seen it. You know, when I came back um, three years ago, it was pretty fast. You know, look at the women's 200. There's there's a time where I remember the women's 200 was one in 25 seconds, and maybe someone would dip under 25, 24-5 would be the champion. Now we have two girls running 23, and 23, um, like six, which is my girl, she's 11th right now in the ranking. So just the depth of it. So you really have to be strategic about it and, and how you place your people in their events and just try to maximize the points as you can. Now, the other thing that, that maybe you've noticed over the time in the OVC is I would say when it was a two-day event, teams used to specialize in certain things. And I think some, some schools still do. Tennessee State in particular, really good in the vertical jump, or I'm sorry, the horizontal jumps and the sprints. That's yeah. Chandra Cheeseboro, an Olympic medalist. That's kind of her specialty yeah. and that, that was kind of her, her niche. SIUE and Southeast Missouri kind of real big in the kind of the throws event scoring points as the does the three-day event change maybe somehow how some of those teams have then recruited athletes as well yeah I think you know SEMO is definitely more complete than they have been in the past um, you look at their roster on the women's side especially from the 100 to the distance events they have kids in every single event where in the past yeah they were more probably distance heavy and then throws heavy um, and that's a good formula to win. But, you know, if now you have to be more of a complete team. You know, I think, you know, going against teams like, our, like ourselves where we're very complete against, you know, we have sprints, we have jumps, we have distance, we have throws. Um, it's, it's harder to beat you if, if you have the depth in all those events. And so I think other schools are trying to pick that up um, and try to, you know, fit their roster to, to beat us like that. And it's, you know, the past has worked. I think, you know, we can hold our own hopefully this weekend on both sides. <laughs> well, we're, we're, we're hopeful that you do. You guys are the rep- defending champs and it seems like forever ago since you guys won the outdoor championships but 2019 was the last time that you won it a lot different makeup though of your team on the men's side I guess tell us a little bit about some of the guys we'll talk about the guys to start with that yeah. the people should look at if they're going to come out and watch the, the meet this weekend yeah I mean we're definitely underclassmen heavy you know you got Adam Swanson in the 8 and 15 um, he's a redshirt freshman um, due to COVID then you have Braylon Johnson Cameron Yarbrough and the, and the short sprints that are both true freshmen um, and then you have Riley Baker, who is technically only a sophomore on the track, but he was the runner-up um, as a freshman two years ago. Um, Jaquil Suber was a conference champ on the Wunton Hurdles um, outdoors in 2019. He's technically a redshirt sophomore, so you know, our team looks really young on paper. I think we have, a, we have a lot of good depth across the board. You know, Ricky Johnson in the two and the four. Um, you get Peyton Powell, um, who's also, I guess he's a redshirt sophomore as well. So, you know, I got redshirt sophomore, I got redshirt freshman, I got true freshman. Um, but we're really freshman heavy, which is great. You know, that depth uh, has really paid off for this year. You know, I think I told you earlier that I've, I've had my fourth different combination of the four by the men's four by one, which in the past, I think once you lose one guy or, you know, you change it up, you don't have that same type, same, yep. type of, same type of success. And we've actually ran, you said it was like top seven yep. um, <laughs> in, our, in our history, which is pretty good uh, with the, the relay running for the first time together this past weekend. So I think we can do some bigger things um, this coming Saturday. Now, on the women's side, an entirely different team you talk about young they are they are young they're this for some of these these young ladies and they're very talented this is going to be their first championship from a coaching perspective what is your how do you have to message that to them to not have the moment be bigger than than themselves just like what you said just tell them the moment's not you know the track's still 400 meters there's still a long jump runway there's still a throwing uh cage nothing has changed yeah the meat means a little bit more but the actual uh, thing we're doing is attractive field is still the same you know i think one, I, I've, I've noticed um, my demeanor really affects a lot of people. If I'm calm and collective, <laughs> everyone stays pretty calm and collective. So I think 
if I approach it like you know it's it's coming clear, I think they'll, they'll they'll they will do just fine. And I make sure I try to talk to them, give them a plan, um, and just kind of calm their nerves. And I think one thing about being a coach that, that I love is getting to know people. So I know now when they're nervous. I know when I know when they're a little too amped up. So I can kind of be that that even even kill person for them and, and kind of calm them down. Even with the coaching staff, you know, we've had I get I got to do that for them as well. So, you know, I think that's probably one of my best things that, I, that can kind of keep you know an even demeanor throughout every situation. Now, you guys also a little I don't want to say added pressure, but when you host at home, it's always it's always there's always an extra, I guess, burden that you think of or an extra pressure that maybe you don't see the fact that you don't want to ever lose at home. And that's in any sporting event. But when you're hosting a a championship event, maybe that's even magnified. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) And I think, you know, always one thing, you know, one, I've come in the conference, I've set a standard like we want to have a good outdoor championship and, and have the best facility where I felt we have the best facility. And. You know, obviously being at home and then winning in 2019 um, as well as like there is some some extra pressure for us. But this team is battle tested. You know, the last the men's on the men's side, both titles they've won um, since I've been back have been down to the last couple of events. So I know they're prepared for any situation. Um, hopefully we can get it to where, you know, we're we're feeling pretty good by the 5000. Um, that's the goal. I think that we feel comfortable going into the last two races where we don't have to worry about kind of those points where you can just like sit back <laughs> and just get out there and compete. But it, it, there is. I mean, I, like I said, I've set the standard that I want the conference to to, to bring up the we – we have a great facility indoors, and sometimes outdoors they don't always match up. And I want to be kind of even across you know both uh, platforms. And I think we have that facility where, where we have a great facility outdoors and matches what we have indoors. And so I think, yeah, I'm, I probably put pressure myself by, by giving the, the other schools some, some heat about, you know, their facilities not being up to par. So I'm fine with that, though. Now, you've been here for a long time. It won't be the first time that you've been at an OVC championship from the outdoor perspective at home. Yep. Last time, if, I, if I'm doing the math here correctly, you've been one as an assistant coach at home yep. and then maybe one as an athlete at home? Yep, 2007. Okay. Yep. What, how are those experiences maybe different and how do you, you build from those as then an athlete that was at home in the championship, an assistant coach to maybe give yourself some some coaching advice here going into the coaching the home event. Yes, yeah, so as an athlete, I think that 2007 team um, definitely had something to prove because the previous year we lost outdoors at CMO by two points, came down to the four by four, and so that year it was more of we got to we got to take care of business, you know, and, and really keep our tradition up because that was kind of the time I think it was kind of sad on part of this era that our streak our streaks were broken when it came to winning championships on a consecutive basis. I think. We hadn't lost once probably since like '97 or something. We lost in 2006 and then or 2006 and then 2008 um, outdoors, and so that was kind of rough. Um, so I think knowing that and you know and trying and changing the culture as a student athlete really helped us, you know, propel for that next stage when I was assistant coach here because that was like the dream team, as we call them. With we had so many guys running so fast. Um, when they every time they, they did their breakdown, it was always you know EIE on three and uh, dream team on six, you know, and so I think. Um, that was a standard that was really set for them. Like they, they knew they had to win. They were going to win. Um, they were going to blow people out, and they kind of had a different swagger. And so, as a head coach now, I don't want that full <laughs> full swagger of like we're just going to go there and dominate because I think that's kind of held us back a little bit early on in my career as an athlete. So I want to just kind of be in the middle of that. You know, know that we have a chance to win, but we have to take care of business on the day. You know, do our job on the day. You know, when I on Twitter, I have this little saying out now. I say the job's not done. Um, basically, I got that from Kobe. I, since Kobe passed away, I've kind of read, read some more things about him and his mama mentality. And you know, when he was in the finals, he said, "You know, you know why should I be happy? We're only up two games. You know, we have three more games, two more games to win. You know, job's not done." And I think, just like with us, you know, we've had some great success this year, but our goal here is to win championships. And if we don't do that, then the job's not done. So I think trying to keep them even. You know, obviously they know they've been they've been looking at the Tifers list. They know where we sit, but job's not done yet until Saturday. You know, until we have the trophy back in our hands. 
Now, you talk about some of those guys and those teams when you were assistant coaches. Zai Bowie is the name that comes, and Zai is the most humble guy you'll, you'll ever meet if people that have not met Zai. But a swagger on the track and the fact that, that I think he what he was racing every time he was out there, he was racing to beat his own times. He didn't yeah. necessarily compete against the other people on the track. He kind of already felt he was going to beat them. Do you have some of those guys like with that mentality now that – I already know I'm going to beat everybody else. My goal is to beat my own personal time every time I'm out. Yeah, I, I would say this new group, you know, Adam and, and the 8 and 15, Dustin Hatfield, um, and some of the sprinters, like Braylon is always, you know, sad thing, and R- Riley Baker always looking the darn clock as they're coming across the line. So I know they're <laughs> trying to beat those times. Um, but I will say Zai was, you know, one of uh, one of a million people. Like, he just was so rare in that sense. Like, you would never know how fast he was until he stepped onto the track. Yeah. He didn't, you know, he didn't really talk about it. He just kind of was, was just about it. Um, but we do have some guys that have the same type of same type of swagger where they are looking to beat their times and get on to the next level, especially Adam Swanson and, and Dustin Hatfield. They want to get to that to reason. They want to get to nationals, and I think Riley Baker's picked up on that same type of uh, mentality. A couple others, I think we have it. We have the mix of having a, a good group going down to Texas A&M in a couple of weeks, um, but we have to you know really perform really really, really well this weekend, and so they can get into that top forty-eight. Now track is a little bit different in the fact that. It's a team sport. People always think of it as a, a team sport. The only way you win a championship is that you scored points, which means the team scored across the board. But also, at the end of the day, everybody knows that you medal. You get a you get a gold, you get a silver, you get a bronze. You guys at Eastern, since I've been here, and you you would have seen this as a men, the mentality as an athlete and then as a coach, have convinced the kids that the team first mentality is how you win, and that the sum of all parts is. I guess greater than than the individuals. Yeah. How do you convince kids to buy into that mentality? Is that I guess holding the championship trophy at the end of the day is, is what everybody wants to do, but at the same time they also want to be able to have a gold medal too. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, and one thing I always say, I, I call our team my family because if we are close knit, we we always will stick together and we'll get through the trials and tribulations of a meet and just a, of a season. And so, within our family, we have you know we have our ups and downs, but. They understand like if we come together, we're gonna we're gonna be on top of the mountain when it's, when it's all said and done. Cause we we're, we're gonna stick together, do, all, do everything, do all the the COVID stuff this year, to the have it indoor, to not have it indoor, to have it indoor, to not have it indoor. Finally, if we stick together, just we stick together, we will be but we will be better off um, in the long run than than anyone else. And I think um, the standard for our, our program, you know, I, and I talked about this in February, then I was a little I wasn't really happy with where training was, and I said, you know, the standard for this program is to win championships. That's it. We're not here to be mediocre. We're not here to, to maybe win every one a couple of years. We want to win every single year, you know. And also, I have a personal um, fire inside of me that when I was told I was coming back here, that someone thought that you know if I came back here that I wouldn't be successful. So I also have another drive to, to make sure this program stays at the top of where it was. And I think it's important to t- to show the kids like you know even though I may see common collective people are, are down me as well, and I want them to prove prove to them that you guys are better than whatever they whatever they think that, that we could have done. We're better than that, you know. And I think you know we're we broke. A couple score records this year already. Um, I think this we have a foundation for a really really good dynasty. You know, if if, if we can stay healthy and, and just stay together. Now I'm curious as to, to where that comes from. That that mentality, the the team first mentality, didn't start with Brenton Emanuel. Didn't start when Brenton was an athlete here. I don't. I know Tom Akers was the longtime coach here, a mentor of yours, very successful, the one that won most of these these championships. But I don't even know that it was necessarily Coach Akers' philosophy, but uh-huh. or if it was just one that he kind of figured out using, I guess, for lack of a better term, a scientific formula on how to make, make everybody buy into that. Yeah, yeah. I would say 
The credit probably goes to Dr. Woodall, um, probably Neil Moore. I know Dr. Woodall, and they won a national championship when he was like an assistant coach back in the uh, late 60s. Um, and they were a family. And, and those guys still support our program. I see some of, I saw um, Dyke Sturk at a meet recently. He was so happy to see me. And granted, he was announcing the ISU track and field meet, which I said, you look better in blue than you do in red. <laughs> but, you know, those guys are so supportive. So it started with them back in the 60s, back in the 50s. Like, they... They started a, a culture of winning, you know, and winning national championships. And I think, you know, obviously the scales have kind of changed since then. Now we don't have D2. And so we're not D2. We're obviously Division One, But that, that same mindset just shifted to the OVC level. And we still get we still want to get people to the next level of regional and nationals. But I think um, what Dr. Woodall established back then is, like, being a team, being a family, you guys, can, you guys can have success. It'll happen. And I think, you know, obviously, you know, Neil Moore took that over and then Coach Akers and then, even Coach Mack, part of the distance, and then myself and Coach Aaron and the staff now, I've really kind of continued that on that tradition. Now, for you, you follow you you competed for Coach Acres. People are going to know who he is. Then you followed Coach Acres. You were an assistant coach for him, so there's a little bit of a gap there yeah. for people that aren't aren't aware. Brenton left, went and coached at a couple other schools, got his feet wet, and then came back in terms of being ready to take over this opportunity. What, and I don't want to say doubts, but what thoughts went through your mind when you get the call to come back here? Knowing that there, I, I, it's always hard. I think I always felt bad for whoever had to replace Bear Bryant or Adolph yeah. Rupp or, or you know, somebody like that yeah. or Phil Jackson with the Bulls. Yeah. I'm not saying that you, that, that, that Tom Akers is them, <laughs> yeah. but it, but in this this scenario here at Eastern, he's yeah. very similar to them. What goes through your mind is you're the guy that has to come in and now replace him, knowing the tradition and success yeah. that's been here. I mean, part of my recruiting pitch, I tell recruits and their families, like I feel like I'm LeBron James, I'm, I'm chasing the ghost, like. Um, you know, obviously, I, I was up for the challenge. You know, I think to be to have myself in the same conversation as you know Coach Akers and people before him to say we won some championships. I think that's, that's a good honor to have. And so, I look at it as a challenge that I, that I want to be up there. You know, I think he won like forty five, so I got forty three to go. <laughs> um, but I, you know, I, that the challenge excited me. Obviously, I think when you become a head coach for the first time, you're never ever really truly ready for the situation. Um, you live you live a lot and you learn a lot on that first year, and I learned so much um, through that time. Especially if you look at that team. Missing was second, and not really a close second um, indoors in 2019. And then outdoors, we came together, and we really just kind of took off from there. And our, our culture changed so much from indoors to outdoors and, and, and how it is now. It's, it's almost nine days when I came back here. So the challenge, I was excited for the challenge. Um, I, I know that was going to be steep, but, you know, one thing that um, I realized for that first year was, like, I have to be myself. I can't be like him. Um, I just have to do, my, do it my way. And I, early on, I was trying to kind of carry on his – Demeanor and it's like that's not me. I, got, I, I have to be myself, um, and so I've done that, and that's worked out so much better for me. And I, and I feel very comfortable now compared to when I was like a, a, a kindergarten going to the classroom for the first time. You know, I would tell you probably that the taste of music is probably much different between the two of you. <laughs> much different, yes. I think I, I relate better to the student athletes when it comes to music. I, I get more. Because uh, this, this, this is your song. You're on the oxide acid. Yep, that's me. I was like, man, I don't think you, you knew that, but. <laughs> Yes, we definitely grew up in different eras of music, that's for sure. Now, interesting enough, when so Coach Akers would have recruited you here as a student athlete. It's been a number of years since, since you competed here, but what made you want to come here to Eastern? Let's, and, I, and I know it's hard to, to put on that 18-year-old tad of, of what it was like to come here, but yeah. if, you, if you can't think about what was it that enticed you to come to Eastern as a student athlete? Um, definitely the Big Blue Oval um, was something that I – you know, state meets held here, so you know, running that track, I, I had some some really pretty good times on that track. And then, I came down for a meet um, in February with one of my uh, teachers. He actually ran here, Jason Bialko, who's who's also in the Hall of Fame here. Great. I had no idea. Never talked about how good he was. 
just thought he was a normal, regular guy. Um, and he was like, wait, this dude was All-American? And he's like, yeah, I was. It's like, didn't, nothing, didn't even blink an eye. And I watched them at the Friday night special the week before conference, and I watched them do the team clap. And then from the team clap to the rest of the meet, they just went to work on it, on everyone. And they had a great meet. I was like, man, this team wins. And I was looking at the little, at the time there was banners in the uh, in Lance, Megan from the Raptors, and I looked at those, and I saw track and field every single year was winning championships. Like, you know, and I had a good high school team. We had some good athletes, but we weren't a good team. And the opportunity to be a part of a, a team that was winning championships was something that, that I really, that I really wanted, wanted to do. I wanted to win a championship. And luckily, you know, as an athlete, I won four. Um, probably should have been more, but we won't talk about that. <laughs> and then you go from there. You, at, at first, you're not even sure you want to get into coaching. I know for the people that don't know, Brenton wasn't a coach to start no. with. Brenton actually worked in compliance and academic yeah. services upstairs um, above where his office is at nowadays. But... I'm guessing the fire was always there to to want to recruit and to, to coach, and yep. it, it probably wasn't very hard for Coach Akers to convince you to to give up the clipboard and come grab a whistle. Yeah, I mean, it was uh, one of those things. Like I, I did. Like I, my first year, so I was in grad school. I mean, I wanted to be like away from the track and field program. Like I had put five years in. I was like, you know what? It's just time for me to step away and just do you know my own thing and not go around the team, not be around the any like the normal college kid drama. And so. I stepped away. I didn't. I didn't go. To, I went to one meet because he asked me to work it, and I was there for like an hour, and then I left. You know, and so what? I, what I realized when I got home for me after that second semester of grad school, I was sitting in my my parents' uh, kitchen table, and I'm. I think Nate Axon somehow, somehow was streaming the OVC Champions from EKU, and I'm glued in and I'm watching it like I, you know, I missed it. Yeah. You know, and I and I and there's a, there's a, always a message on my Facebook that pops up every it's like July seventh or something like that pops up that says, I really do. I really miss track right now. Um, so it was right after the pick, I knew I wanted to get into coaching. And, you know, sadly, you know, one of the coaches, one of their good friends passed away that was coach here. And then another coach got married and, you know, obviously wanted to be closer to his wife. And so coach asked if I wanted to come out. And once I, once I started coaching, I couldn't let it go. Um, and then, you know, I started recruiting. Um, I'll be honest, at first it was a little rough, you know, a little <laughs> rough at first. But then I figured I'd just be myself again. Once I could, again, was myself, it started to flow. And then I think now, um, I mean, I love recruiting. I think just – talking to different people and you know people people trust me and I've had success with a lot of different athletes in their high schools and so being able to have those connections now especially with the state meet being here and meeting a lot of different coaches has really helped my recruiting game just kind of take off but um yeah I I wasn't I was actually the golf GA originally and then I actually <laughs> I ended up being the compliance GA but yeah I wasn't really thinking about coaching until I realized in May uh, after my first year my first year of grad school that I really didn't miss it a lot and I was like I need to get into something because I'm fired for it. I, I was surprised, you know, because I had a couple injuries and it just wasn't really on my mind. But I always thought about it a little yeah. bit, and I got into it. Now, for you, you ran, you were a hurdler and ran the middle sprints. Is that correct? No, I wasn't a hurdler. I was not a hurdler. I thought you were. Everyone thinks I'm a hurdler because I coach it. I've okay. had some success I thought with you, it. I thought, no. you ran, I thought you ran the 400 hurdles. No, I'm I, sorry. I can, I can do the drills perfectly fine. Okay. But for, wherever I go, it's like, oh, you hurdled, didn't you? I said I probably should have, but I didn't. <laughs> um, I, you know, I was a short sprinter. Um, I probably should have been a long sprinter, but uh, people told me I couldn't be a short sprinter, so I have this, you know, a little bit of an ego problem there. When it's, you know, somebody I can't do, someone do it ten times to prove you wrong. But so now for you, then I, I, what my question was going to be is: Is Coach Akers what, what had been a, a hurdler? And I, coaches all seem to have a specialty that they were very, very rarely yep. have. I think I've ever seen a coach in in track and field and cross country that wasn't in the sport at some point in time yeah. and had a specialty. How does, and being as big and broad as, as track is, how do you then have to kind of become the overall coach, but realizing you also have a specialty coach, if that makes yeah. sense? Um, so, like, for me, it was, you know, it's, but obviously as being a head coach, 
that's probably been the hardest adjustment trying to be the head coach and then also be my event coach and so you know with now I, I coach hurdles and I coach um, sprints and that's you know, I have, we have a jumps coach now so like I'm not as spread thin as I was my first year um, but it's, it's definitely difficult because I know that I have, to, I have to go talk to the throwers and, and, and that's the culture we want here you know where the, the throwers know who I am same with the distance kids and so I try to be as supportive as everyone as I can be but there's times where I just become an event coach and yeah I think that's part, you know, as a head coach that I, I realized, like, I love the most of being an event coach. I love recruiting. Sometimes the head coaching duties don't always love all those, but that's part of the job, you know. But um, it's, it's difficult just because you have to talk to so many more people. Um, now, one thing that I always do as a assistant coach is I talk to all the event areas just so the kids know that, hey, if I'm yelling your name at the meet, you're like, who is this guy? Like, I want you to know who I am because I'm going to support <laughs> you. I'm going to cheer you on. Um, so I've always done. And I'm writing your scholarship. <laughs> yeah. So now you know that's even more is more prevalent because I, I like I got this write my name on the scholarship yeah. form. So, you know, I, I think it's just more just it's a little bit more time consuming than I thought in the sense that I have to just communicate more with people so that people can see know who I am and which I'm I'm okay with that but I, I do feel like sometimes there's I do get come closed off because it's like with every decision they come to you for it and yeah. so I, I wasn't prepared for that part of the of the job of. Every decision has to be made by you. Even though I knew that was going to happen, um, I wasn't fully prepared for that because I'm not, you know, like sometimes I like to just put my put my hat on, put my sunglasses on, just kind of maneuver through things. Everyone knows where you're at when you're the head coach. You can't you can't get five minutes by yourself ever, but that's okay. Now I'm not gonna I'm not don't want you to necessarily put yourself in a bad position here, but if you have in a you were a a middle to to short sprinter as mm-hmm. you've already admitted, if you could be in any event. And maybe not the. We'll take out the ones that you would have naturally run. So yeah. the, the one, the two, and the four we'll take out. Yeah. If you could redo it and all, and we'll say body type. Body type is not as important. What would be the event that that you would want to do, or that you would re-specialize in now that you've been around track for so long? Um. It probably would, honestly would be the hurdles. Probably be the one ten hurdles. To be honest with you, I've, I've gotten, you know, from not knowing the hurdles, you know, as an athlete, because I didn't do it. You know, I think I tried it one time in high school and it wasn't terrible. Um, I had to learn the event, you know, through my own way and just kind of a lot of studying and kind of just pictures and videos. And so I have a special love for that event. So the part of the luncheon hurdles, 400 hurdles, you know, obviously that's a lot on your, on your lungs. It's like 800, it's all a sprint, <laughs> but definitely the luncheon hurdles. I probably, I probably would be a hurdler because I have the height, I have the, the leg length. I probably could, I could have done it. You know, I think now I know what I know about it now. I, could, I probably could have been a hurdler. I think I was just being soft back then. <laughs> and then of course, Britton, when you were here, I know you had an injury when you, when you were at, as an athlete, how did that maybe change your perspective a little bit on how now you you approach that with athletes that do have injuries? The fact that that you kind of been through that yourself. Yeah, you know, two things. I think it affects my training. You know, I think I'm a lower volume coach when it comes to volume and workouts. Um, then two is is all about the prevention. You know, I think I, I tell the staff there's just no way I could have coached myself because I would have frustrated myself so much knowing that. You know, I did. Every, I did. All, I've worked always worked hard. There's never a day that I didn't step on the track and gave them all. Now, did I do some of the little things like? cooling down as well as I probably should probably not you know and I think that's where it probably got me the most and so now I'm on my list about hey you got to cool down don't be like how I was because that you know definitely messed up my career and then you know I just start listening to my body now when things start don't feel, start feeling so well so you know if, if I don't listen to my body you know if I have some aches and pains and just you know just listen to it a little bit more I've been better off but I, you know one thing I would say as an athlete I was really hard at it you know I was gonna run through everything and and I want to show that I was tough, which tough is not always good in track and field. Like, it's being smart. You know, you, yep. can, you can have some type of toughness. Like, there's some aches and pains we're going to have just from running a lot. But I had some strains that I probably should have been running on, and I was still doing it. But that's just, you know, my mentality. So that, I think that's also helped me with coaching to not have them be like myself because I said I would have frustrated myself a lot knowing that 
you know, I was always running through something like just sit down for a second, get healthy and then get back out there. Um, and then, you know, the, my original knee injury, I was actually playing basketball. So another thing, you know, I said, don't play basketball, you know, because yeah. I came down someone's foot and some a little freak accident. I tore my meniscus and sprained my ACL and I was like, you know, I was, wasn't playing basketball today. That wouldn't have happened. You know, then the, the other part of that, I ran seven weeks on that without saying anything to anyone. And so I think a lot of people, you know, I would hate for someone to be like me. I was just hard-headed, you know, just listen to your body. You know, I just, I just started at the age of 35. Now, for you, when you, as an athlete, a lot of times track is not the primary sport that somebody starts in. It's not, it, everybody's running around, everybody's right. kind of having fun. But it, it's track is something you usually don't get into until junior high or, or high school. So what other sports did you start with? And then when did it kind of click for you that, I was going to go, you're going to kind of go into track. So basketball was my first love. You know, I think every kid living in Illinois, Chicago suburbs or whatever, you want to be Michael Jordan. And so basketball was my first love. I played basketball. Um, and one of my friends actually ran track in middle school, and she's like, the teacher's oh, you're so fast. I'm like, I'm faster than this kid, but why do you? Okay, whatever. I'm just going to keep playing basketball. And so eighth grade year, uh, we didn't have baseball in my school. We had softball. So I played softball, ran track. <laughs> it actually ended up being pretty good. And so... My freshman year, I went to high school, down school north at first for the first uh, three quarters, and I ended up transferring out to Plainfield Central where I finished up my high school career. But um, I was all about basketball still. And basketball and football, um, I wanted to play football so bad, and so I'll just run track just to stay in shape for basketball. Um, as, but as I got to Plainfield and I, you know, I started getting a little bit of, you know, you know not fans, but just a little notoriety, notoriety about um, track and field, like having a little bit of success, and I was like, okay. Maybe I uh, should do this. And then you, know, you get a, a call or two from a coach and you get a couple of letters. You're like, okay, well, I'm not getting some football. I'm getting, you know, smaller yeah. schools. I'm getting basketball. Um, you know, I was I was just – I came a scrappy guy. I was just a guy that could hustle because he was fast and rebound. You know, so I went, my jump shot has gotten better, but it's not where it needs to be. And so I'm like, you know, okay, if I want to go to college, I want to go to Division One. what's my best option? That's really just track and field. And so – as I started running faster, getting on the state and, and you know, having paid a couple state medals, it was like, you know, this is where I need to be. Um, so it kind of developed into that. Like, I, I'm like everyone else. Like, you didn't love track at first. And then once I got into it and I realized I was good at it, I fell in love with it. You know, I think that's, it's kind of a track's an acquired taste. But nowadays, you get kids running at the age of five now, it's me, you mean. So it's changed a little bit where it's getting, you know, a little more popular um, amongst the, the, the younger kids, especially the people like my age, right? They're putting their kids in early because. It's not as, you know, they see it as a good thing to keep them out of trouble. Because it's going to be a long day, so you can't do too much when you're at a track meet. Yeah, that's true. Now, you mentioned this already. You kind of grew up in the Chicago suburbs, so you've already referenced it a few times. Grew up as a Bulls fan, Jordan fan. That would have been that era there. Also a Bears fan, for those that don't know. So Diehard Bears fan. Britain wears the jersey to the, to the <laughs> office several times during during the course of the year. Kind of who were, who were in, and maybe we've already just named them there, but who were kind of, were those role models for you, or were there some other people that were also kind of role models for you in the in the Chicago land growing up that were these professional sports people? Yeah, you know, I liked obviously who didn't love Michael Jordan, um, and then for whatever reason, the way he hustled—not his, uh, his outside life—but Dennis Rodman was just a hustler on the on the court. He always was diving, you know, and you know he made his niche like he wasn't the greatest shooter, rebounding. And I thought that was something that you know, like like someone said, what I didn't have the greatest jump shot, but I could hustle, and I could rebound, so I made that my niche. Um, in football, the Bears were pretty rough back then, so there wasn't really many Bears players that I, I really looked up to. Um, and then baseball, you know, I, I was – this is – I hate to say it, my brother here is going to give me, you know, give me crap about this, but I was a Cub fan technically at first. Um, so, you know, I thought Sammy Sosa was cool because he always hit all these home runs. Um, but then uh, Frank Thomas was, was my guy, though, big hurt just because he was just a big boy hitting things. And then 
Uh, we had Bo Jackson in town for a little bit, so I heard he was a great athlete. So I kind of looked up to him, and he lives. He still lives, lives in Illinois. I think he lives in Burr Ridge or Oakbrook or something like that. Um, just seeing someone like that, like such a phenomenal athlete in Chicago. So those were probably my, my guys I looked up to, and obviously Walter Payton. You know, I didn't get a chance to watch him play when I was alive. He you know retired when I was like two years old, but. My brother was a, was a huge Bears fan. He showed me videos, and so like I would watch a video of Walter Payton one day. The next day, as a kid, I watched it. I was like um, uh, Air Jordan Fly or something like that on VHS. I watched it every single day. Um, I wanted to be like I, I know his whole life is sad that I, I watched. I mean, literally, I watched it every day on VHS. But MJ was was my was my guy. I think everyone wants to be MJ. Um, I just started my collection of getting more Jordan shoes, which is not a not a good healthy collection. I have about eighteen of those, but I need to, need to cut back a little bit. Well, you got to cut back because you got two daughters that aren't wear, wear Jordans, and so yes, for you now that we just mentioned that you, you have you have two young ones, they're still a ways away. But are they track athletes in the future, or as a track coach, do you push them in, in, into other things and then let them fall into track later? Um, they'll, they'll probably do track. I I, I was telling someone the other day, I said I, I don't want them to to coach them. And someone said, Have you seen some of these high school coaches high school coaches out there? I'm like, Okay, I'll coach them then. Um, but you know my my wife and, and her family are pretty tall. My my father in law is six eleven, so I'm hoping a little basketball in there too. Um, but you know I think they'll probably run track. You know I, my my two year old is fast. I mean she that girl gets around the house so dang quick now. It's like I know I'm slowed down a little bit, but I have to put a little more effort into catching her now than I, than I did a couple about a year ago. So. Um, they'll probably do track a little bit, you know. I'm not gonna force it on them. You know, I want them to to like it and just enjoy it and have fun with it. But the way she's running right now, she's pretty fast. I think she'll, she'll be pretty good. Uh, and Cameron, she's crawling pretty fast, so hopefully that translates into something. But we'll see. But you know, right now, like our two-year-old Brooklyn, she's um, looks like she's three years old, and she and she's not, or she looks almost almost four years old, but she's only two. You know, she's that tall. So height and uh, my wife's side of the family, and I guess I'm not short compared to my family. So hopefully, we have some tall kids. All right. Well, best of luck this weekend, Britain. The OVC championship this weekend. Hopefully, uh, at the end of it, you're holding up. You guys are are technically the defending two-time <laughs> champions. And the fact that you won outdoor and you won indoor the last two yeah. two times that we've had OVC championships. So hopefully, there's a chance for a three-peat. Thank you very much. Appreciate it. <laughs>